Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I am thrilled to explore the possibilities of self-storage as our next great investment. Terry Campbell is a 20-year self-storage building manufacturing expert and currently is EVP of self-storage lending at Live Oak Bank. He is an investor in six self-storage facilities across the Southeast, and he is a frequent presenter at many self-storage educational events across the nation. So Terry, start us off with sharing a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Well, I tell you, Alan, I have to think back on that, but there's one thing that kind of happened, or it may be something that didn't happen, may be the best way to put it, is my grandpa, my great grandpa, they were mechanics. And, you know, growing up, I always liked working on my own vehicles and, and fixing things and doing mechanic type work. My senior year of high school, I wanted to sign up for the auto mechanics class because, you know, I kind of had it, that, you know, I, I wanted to be a mechanic too. And my dad would not sign the form. He had to sign approving of my classes that I chose. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't agree to that. He said, you're not going to do that. And I'm like, you know, why? Grandpa was, uh, you know, my great grandpa was, you were supposed to be, and you ended up not doing it. But he said, you're not doing that. So just sort of as being rebellious, I signed up for weightlifting class. Signed up for weightlifting class, got there the first day of school for that period. And when I got there, they said, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean? I signed up for this class. I said, you can't be in this class. You're not on the football team. And I didn't play football because I grew up on a farm and I was always working, didn't have time for practice and things like that. So they sent me to the office and there were two classes that were left available. One was home ec. I just couldn't make myself do that. And the other was mechanical drafting. So I signed up for mechanical draft. And what turns out, I had a very good instinct for that and was very good at it, was very fast at it. I could just visualize things. I could put them together and did really, really well in that class. And that class led me to a position as a drafter in a local company there where I grew up. And through that company, I met a guy who was teaching an AutoCAD class, doing CAD drafting at the local community college. And I signed up and took that class because I wanted to be a CAD drafter. That was the, that was the new thing back in the 80s. So I, I signed up for that in the late 80s and got to be good friends with the guy who was teaching the class. What just so happens the guy teaching the class was also sort of the computer guy at a local company that built and manufactured self-storage building. Mm-hmm. We got to be good friends. I started doing part-time work for them and I eventually went to work for them. And that's where I was for 20 years before I came to the bank. I started there as a drafter, an estimator. And when I left a little over 20 years later, I was executive VP of operations and VP of sales and marketing. And the position I have at the bank now, just, and all we do, all my team does is finance self-storage loans across the whole country, just sort of fell on my lap. So I was one place a little over 20 years and I've been almost seven years at the bank providing funding for folks who want to get into the business. Well, what a serendipitous experience. Who would have guessed that uh, taking an AutoCAD class 
would eventually lead to investing in self-storage. That's very amazing. Well, tell us, what is it about self-storage that makes it such a great business opportunity? Well, self-storage, I mean, it's great on so many levels. I mean, you've got very low maintenance, very low overhead, good returns. I mean, there's so many good things about it. You don't even, you don't have to have employees on the site. I mean, that's something that's becoming, unmanned facilities are becoming more and more popular. Five of the six that we're involved in are unmanned. So there's so many things about it. You know, if, um, let's say if you own a shopping center and you've got maybe six or eight tenants. Okay. If you lose one, that's a pretty good chunk. If you got a self-storage facility and you have several hundred units, if 10% move out, you know, you, you could lose, you know, 20, 30, 50, and it's not going to move the needle tremendously. So you've got a huge, lots of renters. That's one of the great things about it. Another great thing is it is a month to month tenant lease. It's not yearly. It's nothing like that. It's month to month. So if, if you want, you can raise rents uh, whenever you need to or drop them if you have to, obviously, but you can raise them uh, fairly regularly. And uh, right now, Self-storage, like I said, I've been in the industry almost 27 years, and right now, the occupancies and the, the rates are higher than they've ever been. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable, the value of these things. Uh, one of them that I'm a partner in is a really big one, and we're at 99% full uh, plus all the time, and we keep raising rates. Last quarter, we raised rates 14%. We're going to raise them again. Uh, in our market, there's nowhere else to build in our market, but they keep building houses and apartments. So that's just going to drive more people who are willing to pay more to our facility. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. I have heard from different sources that self-storage occupancy rates have improved, not declined through COVID. Have you seen that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've seen it. What is accounting for that? That just seems so counterintuitive to me. That just doesn't make any sense. Well, there's there's a few things, Alan, that sort of contribute to that. One is that immediately when you started having the shelter in place, things going on and people weren't going into the office, a lot of people needed to, uh, had to make room in their homes to set up an office to be able to work. So a lot of the occupancy was driven by things like that. Kids came home from school early and needed to put their stuff somewhere because they couldn't put it back in the room where mom and dad are working now as an office. You have a lot of people moving, you know, a lot of movement, a lot of relocation that's been going on. Relocation is one of the top drivers. There are a lot of drivers, but relocation is one of them. And uh, especially in the Southeast with so many people moving South, people moving into the Carolinas, moving into Florida. Then you have the halfbackers. I'm sure you've heard of those. They move uh, from the Northeast to Florida and then they don't like it. It's too hot. So they move halfway back and land here in North Carolina. So those are some of the things that was driving the occupancy. And yeah, as a whole, it did not drop. I can speak anecdotally with ours. Ours just kept increasing, never lost a beat. Well, what is it other than the fact that they're easy to manage and occupancy rates are obviously up? What are the other things that are contributing to self-storage as an investment opportunity? Well, one of the things that's going on and sort of driving the interest in self-storage is last year, Bill Gates invested in a storage mark, storage mark. So he invested in that company, Blackstone, who had already had 300 million in self-storage holdings, bought a, uh, did a $1.2 billion acquisition. So it's driving a lot of increase and interest in the business. But you've got more people. Okay, that, that's driving the interest. But what's continuing to drive the business itself is, is a higher percentage of people continue to use self-storage. 
that that percentage keeps growing a little each year. You get homes that, you know, neighborhoods who now have covenants, you can't park in the driveway. So you've got to park in the garage, uh, which has always really blew me away that people would park their $50,000 car in the drive and $1,000 worth of junk in the garage. So now you've, you've got to park in there, so you can't use it. You, you may not be able to, to build a detached storage building out back. And lots of areas you know, don't have usable attics or they don't have basements and things. Just And still an increase in consumption. I mean, people just don't want to get rid of anything. So things like that, you have death, uh, people, you know, when people die, family members don't want to get rid of things. People, when they actually scale down their homes, they don't want to get rid of things. They want to leave it to their family members. There's just, you know, marriage actually is one, you know, people are getting, waiting longer to get married now. So you, when they come together, they have two households of full stuff instead of just one. And so when they get married, where is he going to put his stuff? Because hers is going in the house. So, you know, you, you got to have somewhere and it's just so many different things that drive our industry. Good times drive it because people have toys and buy things and consumption. Bad times when people have to downsize homes or businesses, they still want to keep their stuff. Uh, it's just like a never ending cycle. I mean, and, and then there are times people just put things in there that, that don't make sense. Uh, I, I remember uh, just recently reading where this guy and his sister, their, their dad had passed away. And they went to clean out his self-storage facility. And that facility he had had for about uh, 12 years. And on average, over that 12 years, he paid 100 bucks a month. So over $14,000 for that unit for the 12 years he had it. When they went to clean it out, it had about $100 worth of lumber in it. And he, had to, he hadn't been to that unit in years and years and years. So people just don't want to, once they rent, they don't want to have to take the time to go clean it out. They don't know what they're going to do, what's in there. So they just leave it. And they just keep paying month after month after month for it. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yes, I'm guilty of that. I had a self-storage unit for about four years and oh gosh, when I went to clean all of that out, I'm going, why did I pay to keep all of this because as i cleaned it out a good portion of it went into the dumpster so yeah uh, yeah well it sounds to me like what you're saying is i mean we know that americans are becoming more consumer oriented all the time but it sounds like we're at the same time becoming more consumer oriented we're becoming more of pack rats and just yeah. uh, keeping and holding on to our stuff yes exactly I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> it is for the self-storage business. Yes. As a whole, I don't know that it is. <laughs> well, what are the ways that, that we can get into this exciting business? Well, different ways you can get into it. You can do an acquisition. Obviously, acquisitions these days are, are, are tough to get because everybody's after them. It's like trying to buy a house. you got several people fighting over them. So acquisitions, if you want to go after an acquisition, try to find an off-market deal, maybe just cold calling, sending letters, things like that is a way to do it. Another way, obviously, is doing ground-up construction, you know, just building a new one in a market that needs it. 
And one of my favorite ways, other than doing an acquisition is my favorite, an acquisition that has a value add situation. You know, the rates aren't where they need to be, or, you know, it it has an area that you can add on, you know, they're too full. If you're 100% full, you're not charging enough. Uh, So, you know, that's my favorite. But my second favorite would be doing uh, a conversion where you take an existing empty big box or some sort of building with some size to it and just converting it self-storage. And a lot of, I mean, you have much less construction risk. A lot of times you're going to have less issues or or complaints from cities uh, because they don't want those buildings sitting around empty. So that's my next favorite. And actually building from the ground up is my my least favorite because it has the most risk, but in the end, in the long run, it can have really, really good rewards. The value and the equity you can build in it over some time. Your value is not just the cost of the buildings. Your value is in the NOI created by those tenants. Am I right in assuming that if you get a big box facility and convert it to self-storage, that it is pretty much already a climate-controlled facility? Is that the case or not? Typically, that's going to be the case. That's going to be another advantage you have is that if that that building is empty and hopefully it's got a good roof and doesn't have electrical issues or HVAC or plumbing issues that you just got to go in and redo, but that is definitely going to normally be the the what you're going to turn it into as a climate control because it's it's encapsulated it's so easy to to be climate control and you typically most markets you're going to get more revenue for those climate control units the question i have in turning it to climate controlled is is circulation how do you manage the circulation of the the air circulation you've just got to uh and it's going to depend on your building it's going to depend on how much ceiling height you have how much room that you have over the units typically the way that the units are, are built is that they're going to have uh in a conversion most of the times if it's a single story conversion it's going to have a wire mesh over the top of the units mm-hmm. so air can get in through there and come around the cracks in the doors uh usually the flow of air is is not a problem in a conversion okay that was always a, a concern of mine in thinking about that. And well, and then that brings up the other, you, you say in a single storage, but I'm thinking in, in a Walmart, Kmart, or whatever these big box uh, mm-hmm. stores are, I would think you could have a two-story facility within just about any one of those. Those ceiling heights are at least two-story highs. Yes. Would that cause circulation issues? Well, there again, it, it not necessarily because, and you're right, if you've got, you know, 18 feet of clearance there, you can do a two-story. Your upper floor, you're, got, you're basically going to end up having a uh, system on each floor. And by doing that, typically what's done is they just run a main trunk down the hallway. So you'll have that first floor high enough that there's a gap above the doors that the air can get into. You run a main trunk down that, uh, down that hallway. And air just blows out. You just put vent. You don't duct to each unit. You just blow it out so it can circulate and it'll it'll go in through the, the cracks and it'll come back out and get sucked back down the hall to the return. Well, that doesn't sound so bad after all there. The other thing that I was wondering about is you're saying that it's getting very competitive. Certainly the multifamily market is extraordinarily competitive. But you are saying that the self-storage is also getting to be very, very competitive and that there, I had not heard of those big, those big operators moving into that. I thought it was still pretty much a mom and pop kind of business. Yeah, it's about 75%, roughly 75% of the self-storage industry is mom and pop. 
the big guys go where they feel like they can make the most money. Typically, they stay in the larger MSAs. But uh, when I say competitive, it's competitive if you know, for folks looking to buy one, everybody's looking to buy one. So if it's on the market, well, let me give you an example. The, the group that I invest with, we have really not bought anything this year, all year, because it's gotten so competitive. We used to get deals that were, that were brought to us. We would review them, look at them, make an offer, which was typically less than what the asking price was. And then Usually we could make it work out because, you know, we had a track record that we would close. We would make it close. We know what we're doing. We could get it done fairly quickly. But now the last couple that we sort of made some uh, offers on, we did a verbal offer on one. It was a couple hundred thousand less than asking price. And a couple of days later, I spoke to the broker who's a good friend of mine. And she said, look, I'm, I'm not even going to give them your offer because we've already gotten three others. The lowest one is asking price. The other one is about 400,000 over asking and one of them's cash. So when I say competitive, that's that's what I mean, competitive trying to get into the industry. It's just a lot of people are trying to, they're seeing all these really good things about the industry and how it's such a good business. And everybody's trying to get in. It's just kind of that way in, a, in all commercial uh, segments these days, which no one expected this time uh, last year or, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, with the onset sure. of COVID. The way things turned out has just shocked almost everybody. Well, how do you finance a self-storage building? How different is that from multifamily? Well, with uh, self-storage, and, and I'll speak a lot to what actually what I do, we are SBA lenders. The majority of the financing that we do at Live Oak is SBA. We're the largest SBA lender in the country. So we do a ton of it. So most of it, we do that. And with an SBA loan, you can get into a self-storage facility for as little as 10% equity. Oh, really? We can finance wow. up to 90% of an acquisition or new construction if it cash flows properly. If it's you know, a strong enough deal and cash flows, we can do up to 90%. So that's typically what we're, we're doing, but we're getting into conventional. And some of the conventional that I see and talking with other folks out there in the lending world that do conventional is you know, some of the construction is 25 to 35% equity requirements. And then you... A lot of times you're going to have to feed it while it's leasing up. You got to make the payments. That's another good thing about the SBA loan. We can include that money for that lease up interest reserves and working capital. So, you know, SBA to me is the way to go because lower equity out of pocket and there are no financial covenants with an SBA loan. But conventional loans, you know, sometimes you can't, you're, maybe you're too big to do an SBA loan or just you're not willing to, to do some of the things you got to do. So conventionally, we're doing, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35% equity on some of the conventionals that we've done. And like I said, you kind of got to feed it in a lot of cases yourself out of pocket. A lot, a lot of folks won't finance anything but the construction costs. Well, Terry, you mentioned that you are in the lending business. So Tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you. Well, if they want to get in touch with me, I can get my direct number is 910-202-6933. And uh, you can email me at terry, T-E-R-R-Y dot Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L at liveoak.bank. It's not dot com, but liveoak.bank. And a lot of times that's the easiest because if you email me, uh, I mean, I'm on the phone all the time, all day long. And if you email me, I'll send back a, a calendar link so you can uh, select the time that works for you. And that way we can you know, set up a whole half an hour instead of trying to squeeze a call in here and there. All right. Well, great. 
Well, Terry, one last question before we go here. Share with us, what are your most difficult setbacks in life? How did you come through that experience? And what did you learn from that? I guess for me, and I don't know if I would call it a setback, but for me, not having a, a college degree, I don't have a formal, you know, formal degree. I always say my, my, my degree comes from the school of hard knocks. And I just felt like there were many times I was passed over or, or not looked at because of uh, the fact I didn't have one. It just made me work that much harder is what it did. And in fact, one of the reasons I am in the self storage business is that the company I was at as a drafter originally would not let me move up because I did not have a degree. I was clearly qualified, but they wouldn't let me. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the degree. We put our kids through college. I mean, I just never really had the chance, nor the inclination, because I want to do other things. And uh, um, I think, you know, in a, in a way, it was a setback, but in a way, it actually helped to propel me to where I am now. Well, it seems like you've done pretty well for yourself, even without that degree. So, well, Terry, it's been a delight having you today and a very informative conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. True thing. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Seed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at SteveTalker.com.